Just for a beginner, let's open our Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 5, if you will. Now, we're not teaching in Revelation. This would just be a first reference to get us started on what we will bring you about the Lamb. And I'll read in Revelation chapter 5, or we read down verses 1 through 6, if you will. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open the book, to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said, saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book, and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now then, we've seen the line of the tribe of Judah here, and then... Who is the Lion? The next verse says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a Lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. Now, when we were teaching uh, earlier in the Revelation, we taught that passage of Scripture. And right now we're in about the 11th and 12th chapter of the book of Revelation in our Sunday school Sunday morning. But I only read this scripture to point out that you find here in verse 6, a lamb as it had been slain. What we want to bring you this evening is several passages of scripture, both in the Old and the New Testament. Now you find this word lamb 29 times in the book of Revelation. But we're going to give you some statements, seven different statements, and we'll start back in the book of Genesis. And the first statement is this. We see the lamb typified. The lamb typified. Back in uh, the book of Genesis. Turn back. We find that the lamb is typified. We'll give you seven different things about the lamb. It's typified in Genesis 3.21 and Genesis 4 verses 3 through 6. So let's notice Genesis 3.21. Now if you remember before we read it. That Adam and Eve after they had sinned. They made themselves uh, fig leaves to cover themselves. And hereafter, the Lord rebukes them for what they had done and comes to them in the garden and reveals their nakedness and reveals their sin and brings the sevenfold curse upon uh, humanity because of Adam's sin. And we could go into that sevenfold curse, but we will not do that. But after this is all said and done, in verse 21, it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. Now, if he made coats of skins, we are not told what, what kind of animals were used, sacrificed, to provide the clothing for Adam and Eve. But we know later on there are many indications that there's a lamb or the firstlings of the flock that were offered in sacrifice. And we find that, of course, the lamb is prominent throughout the Scriptures, especially when we get over to the book of Exodus. And further on, we'll study some more references. And here, even in the book of Genesis. So, uh, we cannot say for certain that this was a lamb. That these were lambs that were sacrificed that provided the covering for Adam and Eve. But we do know that our covering is provided through Christ. That we're clothed with Christ's righteousness due to the fact of His death on the cross. And uh, the Bible tells us that we, the one who has made uh, sin for us, 
who knew no sin, that we might be have the righteousness of God in Him. That's 2 Corinthians, I believe, is 5, verse 21. But we do see here that under Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And then on down in chapter 4, let's read uh, verses uh, 1 through 6, if you will. And Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bare, him, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And it came to pass in the process of time, and, Cain, and in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. By the way, you notice that there was a time for this offering, and there was a place because he had to bring it somewhere to present it before the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou do it, we'll go and read. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted. And if thou doest not well, sin life at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. Uh, and we find, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. I want you to see that Abel brought unto God of the first, in verse 4, the firstling of his flocks and the fat thereof. So he had to sacrifice. And you notice it says he was, in verse 2, he was a keeper of the sheep. So evidently he brought a lamb for sacrifice. So we have the lamb is typified by Abel's offering. And we know that uh, in Hebrews 11, verse 4, if you want to return over there, we'll give you references as we go along in our study. It says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaketh. So notice that the offering that Abel made back here in Genesis 4 was offered by faith. This lamb was offered by faith. So evidently, Abel knew that God would accept his offering. Probably Adam and Eve told him and told both of the boys, Cain and Abel, that uh, God had provided for them coats of skins. And Abel believed that God would accept this offering of the lamb or the firstling of the flock. So that's what he offered to God. And Cain evidently disbelieved that he would have to meet God's requirements and offer this, the same sac- kind of a sacrifice. And so he offered of the fruit of the ground. And when it says in Hebrews 11:4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, it means that he had heard, either from his parents or in some special way, because faith cometh by what? Hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So he knew very well that his offering would be accepted. Just as you and I should know that, that uh, our offering by faith in Christ and offering himself for us and accepting Christ as our Sin offering will be acceptable to God because God has already accepted Him and all we have to do is receive Him and claim Him as our Savior. And so we accept Him by faith. So we find the first statement we made was the Lamb typified. We see that the Lamb is typified in not only the covering for Adam and Eve, but we see that the Lamb is typified by the offering that Abel made. And so if you want to 
couple, three references together. Genesis 3.21 and Genesis 4, and I'd say verses 3 through 6. And Hebrews 11.4 was the New Testament reference. So those three references concerning the Lamb typified. Now the second reference I'll give you is the Lamb prophesied. The Lamb typified, number one. And there's seven of these. Number two, the Lamb prophesied. Now let's turn over to Genesis 22, if you will. Genesis chapter 22. And we're just studying tonight, trying to give you some things that will show us. Uh, let's, I think, of course, we see it in verse 8 and then on verses uh, uh, 13, 14. But let's, let's read at the beginning of Genesis 22 and see the whole story. It says, It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, This is verse 1, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and saddled his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and clave the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes, and saw the place afar off. He knew exactly what God had told him to look for. And he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Now I want you to notice this. And come again unto you. Now he knew he was called upon by God and tempted and tested and tried by the Lord to offer up Isaac as a burnt offering. Can you imagine a man called upon to offer up his son as a burnt sacrifice to God? But Abraham says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. We're going, but we're going to come back. And we'll give you some reference in Hebrews in just a moment. And Abraham uh, took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and uh, took the fire in his hand. And a knife, and they went both of them together. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father, and said, My father, he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Now, I want you to notice verse 8. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. Now, what did Abraham say? God will provide himself for a burnt offering. Now, this can be taken in a kind of a twofold way. God would provide the lamb for the burnt offering, but God would provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering when you apply it to Christ. So God not only provided Christ as a burnt offering, but he provided that offering of himself. So he himself was the provider, and he was the one provided as well. So if you wanted to play on those that word there, it would be very meaningful. But it says, So they went both of them together, and they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there, and laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him uh, on the altar upon the wood. My goodness, can you imagine what was going through emotionally both for Abraham and both for Isaac? And Isaac was a, a strong young man. He wasn't just a child anymore, any longer. You read and study it, probably we don't know, but 17, 18 years old, strong, strength of his life, or at least strong enough probably to resist his father in many ways. And Abraham stretched forth his knife and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. 
He said, here am I. What was he saying? Here am I doing exactly what you called upon me to do. Fully surrendered. And even though this extreme test or trial was upon him, he was still obeying God. I don't think you and I could live, uh, have lived up under such tests. I don't think we could have met this test. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad. You know, this was enough proof for God. Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything to him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. And it means the Lord will see or provide. The Lord, he, hadn't he already said God will provide himself a lamb? Okay. He says the Lord will see as is said in today. Well, and Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. Now then, to connect that in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, turn over there, if you will, 17 through 19. This is the great faith chapter of the New Testament. Notice what it says in verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried. What does that mean now? That means that Abraham believed God when he was tried. Abraham believed God. By faith, Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. You see, that's what Abraham believed, that God had said, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. He knew that Isaac could not remain dead there, that God would raise him up. Now look, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. In other words, Abraham says, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you, he told these young men. Because God had already promised Abraham that Isaac, in Isaac would his seed be called. Think of it for a moment. And so it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested or tried, offered up Isaac. That's verse 17. My what a faith. He was accounting that God would raise him up even from the dead. Because he, he believed God's promise concerning Isaac, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now then, if that's not faith, I don't know what is. And so, I think you can see that the Lamb is prophesied there because we know that Jesus is spoken of as the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now then, I want to progress on in the Old Testament. Number three... Number one was the lamb typified. Number two, the lamb prophesied. Number three, the blood of the lamb applied. The blood of the lamb applied. Look at Exodus 12, verse 7. Exodus chapter 12 and verse 7. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. You have to read the context here. This is where the Passover was instituted. In the Old Testament, and this blood was applied to the lintel and the side posts of the of the houses of the children of Israel, so that when the death angel passed over, that that God said, "When I see the blood, I will pass over you," and He would not suffer the firstborn of the house to 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 die. So let's read the context before it. Verse one. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. 
Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the, this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. Here's the lamb again. According to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to it, the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. He says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And so on and so forth. You have the instructions. And on down in verse 22, you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and shall strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. And it goes on to say, For the Lord will pass through the, to smite the Egyptians, and when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two posts, side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto you, unto your houses to smite you. Well, and then he goes on, verse 24, You shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and thy sons forever. So this is where the Passover was instituted. And remember, it was the lamb, the blood of the lamb was applied. Now then, you say, well, preacher, what does that mean to, to Christians of our day and age? Well, in 1 Corinthians, if you will turn, chapter 5 and verse 7, Paul says this, Purge out therefore the old leaven, concerning the Passover sacrifice, that you may be a new lump for as you are unleavened. Now look, it's the last part of verse 7. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So He is the one that sacrificed for us in the New Testament. So that blood of the Lamb that was applied in the Old Testament pictures Christ's blood that was shed for you and I. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So we've tried to give you some New Testament references in relation to what we're studying. I think you can see, first of all, that we've seen the Lamb typified, we've seen the Lamb prophesied, and we've seen the Lamb, the blood of the Lamb applied. applied. Now then, I want to give you another reference. The Lamb personified. The fourth thing, the Lamb personified. Turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 and verse 7. It says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. The Lamb is spoken of as a he here, right? So he's personified. The Lamb personified. We see here when Isaiah predicts concerning Christ, and we know this does for there's so many proofs of it in the New Testament. We'll give you some of that in a moment. But we know that when Isaiah is prophesying here of him being led as a lamb to the slaughter, he's pointing to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And let's read the context here and see what it says in Isaiah 53, if you will. Let's begin with verse 1. Isaiah says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he, that is Christ, he, 
shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. You know, I want you to notice how Isaiah puts this in the present tense. He doesn't say, this one that's to come, that's going to grow up, will be despised and rejected of men. But he puts it in the present tense, as if speaking of the fact that it's already present, like you'd find it over in the Gospels. And he says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. We speaking of mankind, and of course in the days of Jesus. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He's not only including Israel, but mankind in general is their attitude in general toward Jesus. Now look, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Well, he hadn't yet, had he, but he was going to. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet did we esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Notice it's all in was and is, and he is. And with his stripes we are healed. And it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. That's mankind. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The word laid on him means made to meet on him by imputation. Our sins were imputed to Christ. And Christ's righteousness was imputed to us. He gave us the best of the deal, didn't he? The best of the trade. In Galatians 1, I think it says, He gave Himself for our sins, that He might redeem us from all iniquity, purifying Himself of peculiar people, zealous of good works. You find it in a couple of passages, in Titus as well. But think of it for a moment, that, that our sins were imputed to Christ, and in the same act, at the same time, Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. The word imputed means counted or reckoned. And you read Romans chapter 4, and you have a whole list of things that were reckoned to us through Christ. So look at this a moment. You still have Isaiah 53? It says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Verse 7. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Remember, he refused to answer Pilate sometimes, Pilate marveled that he was silent when he was being tried and, and provoked really more than tried because he didn't receive a fair trial. But uh, I want you to turn to the book of uh, Acts chapter 8, if you will. And this is the New Testament reference concerning this. Let's notice uh, the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip goes and he joins himself to the chariot. Verse 28 says that this Ethiopian eunuch was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading Isaiah the prophet, or Esaias the prophet, which is Isaiah. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, <clears throat> now listen, <clears throat> go near and join thyself to this chariot. That's Acts 8 and verse 29. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias. By the way, Philip was very anxious to go where the Holy Spirit led him to go. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I were so led and so anxious that we would go immediately when we're pressed upon by God's Spirit to do something in obedience? And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Esaias and said, 
Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Now notice verse 32. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Now remember, we're talking about the lamb personified. The lamb is a person now, personified. Uh, So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Now look, verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's the lamb that was personified. And the proof of it is here in Acts chapter 8 of what Isaiah was speaking of in Isaiah 53. The person of the Lamb is of Jesus. And there's no question about it when we come to what is said here. Now then, let me bring you over now into the New Testament. The Lamb is identified. This is number five. Are you copying them down? If you, if you want these after the service, I can give them to you. Uh, if you haven't already put them down. It's just one word. Typified first. Prophesied. Number two. Uh, blood applied. Number three. Personified, number four. And now, the Lamb identified, number five. Identified. Okay, where do we find that? Turn to John chapter 1. And I think all of you anticipate and know what we're going to say here. John chapter 1. and verse 29. The next day John, this is John the Baptist, seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Here he's identified by John. The Lamb identified. And what does John say about it when he sees Jesus coming? He sees Jesus coming to him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. We know as we read in Matthew chapter 3 and Mark chapter 1 where Jesus was baptized, we find that when uh, Jesus came to John, and was baptized of him in the river of Jordan, that the, that uh, when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came and lighted on him. And then the Father out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So you have the divine trinity. You have, the Holy, you have Christ being baptized and coming up out of the water. You have the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, symbolizing the Holy Spirit, the dove symbolizing the Holy Spirit. You have the voice from God, from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. The divine trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so here in this passage, when John sees Jesus coming unto him, notice what it says. Behold, he saith, and, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which, notice this word, taketh away the sin of the world. What does that word taketh away mean? Beareth away. Behold the Lamb of God that bears away the sin of the world. Now, where did He bear it away? And how do we get a connection? Don't worry about those whistles. They'll go on when I'm preaching, and that's fine. Just pay them no attention. So, where do we find that this one that's identified here as the Lamb of God, who is Jesus, bears away the sin of the world. We know He does it when He dies on the cross of Calvary. But what do we find revealed in the Old Testament? Look in Leviticus 17, if you will, and we'll get a connection here. Leviticus 17. 
We find that on the Day of Atonement that there was to be offered at this particular time for the sin offering. Let's pick up with verse uh, verse 7. And he, that's speaking of Aaron, he shall take, take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. Now here's goats. And Aaron shall cast lots upon two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. So one for the Lord had to be sacrificed, the other one was a scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now listen. You have two goats that constitute one offering. And one of them is killed, sacrificed. And the other one is the scapegoat that's taken into the wilderness. And Aaron shall... Uh, it goes on to say a lot of things about bullocks and offerings and so on. But let's on, drop on down to verse 18. Uh, verse uh, 20, rather. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place, he offers other sacrifices of bullocks and various things to sacrifice to offer, to sanctify the holy place. And then he gets back to the, the scapegoat. Let's pick it up with verse 20. When he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. Now look, verse 21. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins, putting them, this is by imputation, putting them upon the head of the goat. And he shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. The goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities. Bear. Notice the word bear. Upon him all their, all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited. And he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Now then. What does it mean? There's a lot of other things attached to it. So the, the scapegoat would bear away all the iniquities of all the sins and all the sins of all the children of Israel, all in one bundle, of all the people of God there in the Old Testament. This was made, this scapegoat would take them out into the wilderness. There would be a qualified man, a fit man, it says, a man well qualified to take, take this goat out and to turn him loose in the wilderness. And the, the man would return and when he would return, well, Aaron and the children of Israel could rest assured that their sins were as much as gone, for they could no longer find this particular goat out in the wilderness. It was let go, and it was lost out in the wilderness. So, when it says, Behold the Lamb of God, John says, he says a lamb instead of a goat, but he is the scapegoat as well. Behold the Lamb of God, which beareth away, which taketh away the sin of the world. So Jesus took our sins away into a land not habited, that was not uh, filled with people, and an uninhabited place. As much as to say that Jesus took our sins away so that they cannot be found anymore. Behold the Lamb of God that beareth away, taketh away the sin of the world. Now think of that for a moment. The Bible says uh, that uh, He has cast our sins behind His back. God won't even look at them anymore. The Bible says He's buried Him Buried our sins in the depths of the sea. The Bible says, listen, I love, love this one in Psalm, I believe it's 103. As far as the east is from the west, maybe about verse 12 or somewhere down there, you can look. 
uh, Psalm 103. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgression from us. You've heard me speak of this time and time again. The east and the west. He didn't say as far as the north to the south. But he said, as far as the east is from the west. If you go, if you go uh, to the south, you can reach the south pole. If you go north, you can reach the north pole. And the earth is said to turn upon its axis. And we use those as points of uh, reference. But we... Go east or west, and you just keep going, don't you? We say, used to say east is east, and west is west, and never the twain shall meet. And so, God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. That means simply that we can't catch up with them, because Jesus beareth away the sin of the world. He took them into a place uh, that we couldn't find them anymore. And furthermore, it said concerning our sins, that their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. God says, I'll not only blot them out as a thick cloud and bear them in the depths of the sea and remove them as far as the east is from the west, but I will not even remember them. God doesn't remember them against us anymore. You say, does God have power not to remember? God has power to do everything else, doesn't He? When God says, I'm not going to remember, you, know, you and I will say, I'm not going to remember this, and I'm not going to think of this. And invariably, that's the very thing we'll think of, isn't it? You say, put it out of your mind. Well, how are you going to do that? It's already there. And some way, in some form or fashion, it's going to stay there. You say, well, I'm going to forget all that I've ever done this bad. No, you're not. I hope that you profit by it and put it behind you. Paul says, forgetting those things which are behind. He didn't forget the fact that he had been a persecutor of Christians, even though he wanted to put it in the past. And he did. And he says, reaching forth to those things that are before. So, there are certain things, by the way, that you're not going to forget. And that's going to be a tragedy in eternity for the, the unsaved. Because we, if you remember in the, when he's talking about the rich man and Lazarus, and the word came to him, he says, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Even in hell, the rich man had to remember. And he remembered that he had three, uh, three, was it four brothers? Three or four? His brothers. Well, I, I get uh, aggravated myself when I can't remember these details. But anyway, he says, I think I have four brothers that have come, and I don't want them to come to this awful place of torment. So let's see if I can find it and prove myself to see that I'm... Uh, right or wrong. It's chapter 16. Let's see. And it says, I have five brethren. Not three or four. It's five. It's uh, Luke 16, verse uh, 28. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So, the rich man in hell says, I want you to send Lazarus back to them to testify of them because I don't want them to come to this place of torment. He had more concern for them after he was gone than he did while he was living. But it's too late. Not so. This is impossible. It's not going to happen. But what I wanted to point out is, is that he said, let me see, where he said, uh, Son, remember. Notice. In verse 23, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime. He could remind him of his lifetime. 
You know, I believe that's part of it where Jesus says, and their worm dieth not, the worm of memory. There's fire, and there's judgment, and there's torment. And he says, where the fire is not quenched, and their worm dieth not. Did you know memory can be a wonderful thing, and it can be a horrible thing? Some things we don't want to remember. Some things we're happy to remember. But remember in the life to come, there will be memory. And he says, son, remember. Well, let's get on with our lesson. I wanted to give you that. So what we're saying is that Jesus is identified. Then let me give you two more things quickly. The Lamb is magnified. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. The Lamb magnified. And we've read the first part of it, but let's pick up with verse... uh, Verse 8, Revelation 5, verse 8, it says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Of saints. And they sung a new song, song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. Who is it? The Lamb. Thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beast and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying, Worthy, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The Lamb magnified. The Lamb is magnified by the redeemed. The 24 elders, when we taught it, uh, represent the redeemed in heaven that are taken up in chapter 4 of Revelation. So they're around the throne, and what are they doing? They're singing the song of redemption, and the angels are are crying out and saying uh, that uh, with a loud voice that worthy is the Lamb that was slain. So we see the Lamb magnified. Now, the last thought of our message is the Lamb glorified. The Lamb glorified. Revelation 19 and, 20 and 20, um, 21 and 22. Revelation 19, first of all. The Lamb is glorified. And I'll just have time to point out some verses here for your uh, study and, and consideration. But let's look at Revelation 19 and verse Well, verse 7 through 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for fine linen is what? The righteousness of saints. And He saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. You have the Lamb mentioned here in uh, verse 7 and also in verse 9. And the saints that are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now look over in chapter 21, if you will. And we'll just have to sparsely give you some of the things. When we see that uh, new heaven and the new earth and the heavenly Jerusalem, it says in verse 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. Wouldn't you hate to go to a place where there's no church, but there's no temple? Because it says that the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. The very presence of God. God the Father and God the Son are the temple of it. And look, in verse 23, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon had no need of it, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. See that? We cannot imagine 
We, we have no uh, real ability to comprehend the fullness of what we're reading and studying here.